0: Listen, every year, if you're kind of new to Lakeview, every year to start the year, I usually shift our focus a little bit, uh, and not to give a great deal of explanation for why I do that, Except I have a conviction that there is a leadership that's given to the church, is spelled out in Ephesians chapter four, that God had given to shape the church, to help the church think. To help the church to be what it's called to be, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church. And each one of those sorts of gifts are going to bring a certain nuance to the church. They don't all sound the same, they don't carry the burdens of the ministry of God the same way. And so there's an element that, you know, most of what you hear from us is more in the pastor teacher realm caring for God's people, teaching God's word. But there is a prophetic element where we see in Scripture where where God's speaking to us, not just a lesson from a page in Scripture, but God is speaking into the moment of right now where you're living. What's going on with you right now? What's going on in your world right now? When the prophets spoke in Scripture, they pointed the, the attention of the people of God, not just to God, but they pointed it to, hey, have you noticed this in your backyard? Do you see what's going on? Do you see how this is affecting you? Do you see how this is creeping into your own heart? That's what the prophets sounded like. And, and some people love the prophets. Some people avoid the prophets for the reasons of how they sound. Some people love to hear God thunder and hammer on us, right? Oh, tell me where I'm falling short. That just, oh, that just does something for me, gets me jazzed and gets me good. And then some people are like, that's the last thing in the world I want to hear. Is how I'm falling short. So I don't even read the prophets. But the reality of our soul is we need God to dial into our address with the things that are going on in our world and speak to right now. So every year when we start the year, I I start kind of praying and and asking the Lord for some help in this category, Uh, usually back in the end of the summer, to get a sense, what is the Lord wanting to communicate to us as we start a new year? And a little extra weight here, we're starting not just a new year, we're starting a new decade. And so I do have some thoughts I just felt a burden for, and really they're going to get formed out of this passage in Matthew chapter 11, which we are not going to do today. I'm just going to introduce some things today. But I feel like what the Lord wants to do in that passage is, is draw our attention to some things in the midst of the life and the world that we live in. So there's something about God standing in your world and saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you will find rest for your souls, right? When I hear those words today, a matter of fact, i bumped into a number of pastors who I hear had a burden for this year at some point if they're not starting the year with to speak about rest and you know rest that that probably feels different for Jesus when he speaks it to the people in their day than it does today Uh, I think you and I need rest today in a way that's very different than the first century saints probably felt like they needed rest But I think God wants to speak to our moment. And that's what I want this series to help us accomplish. Just to hear God speak into our moments as we start a new decade. And I don't know how you guys have pondered this change of year. We've got a new year. Did you, did you go back and look at the year in review pictures over the last year? Maybe over the last decade. But this is what's been really sobering for me. Is to ponder the concept of how quickly a decade goes by. All right. so this is, I, I scan just my own personal. You can scan your own personal world with me just for a second. And think back 10 years ago. What was going on with you 10 years ago? How much has been added? How much has changed? How much is adjusted? How much different does your life feel right now than it did to you 10 years ago? Right? Um, I, I reckon we're, we're going through rapid changes as a, as a family, as a household. 10 years ago, my oldest daughter finally got her driver's license. 10 years later, I have... Seven children, by the way. Ten years later, all of them but one has their driver's license. We have six cars parked in our driveway. Ten years ago, we could play basketball in the front yard because there was only two cars parked in the driveway and they were easy to move. Now, we never play basketball because you'd have to move six cars out of the driveway to do it. So things have changed a little bit. Uh, Ten years ago... I think the greatest illness in my life 10 years ago uh, was was probably a cold. Uh, maybe the flu a couple of times throughout all the years of my life. Sprained finger, sprained ankle. And then the last 10 years, I've just made up for lost time. <laughs> last 10 years, I, I've had... Uh, melanoma, I've had multiple cancer, skin cancer surgeries, I've had my ACL tear a number of years ago. Some of you guys remember me preaching a few years ago, having to sit up here with my foot elevated because I'd blown my knee out. Um, Life feels a little different at 55 than it did at 45. And, And you've got your own story there. But what's, again, sobering in this is how much... 10 years from now, your life could change. How drastically different it could feel to you. How your faith is going to need to operate in that day versus the way it's operating today, right? I mean, your sober thought. 16, 17-year-olds, and we don't have too many of those today because they're all away at the youth retreat that they're coming back from today. But if you're 16 or 17 years old, a decade from now, uh, you could be in your second, third, fourth year of your career. You could be married with children. Right? You could go from driver's license to marriage license in the next decade. <laughs> you could be pondering, right, right, right now your life might be settled. A decade from now, you could be pondering taking a job because you're in your fifth year of your career and you're going to take a job that perhaps is going to send you to the other side of the world to another part of the country. And you're going to have to make a decision about moving away from everything familiar to you, from your church, from your family, from a location maybe that you grew up in. That's Within the next decade, you might not be thinking that could happen. Within the next decade, many of us will go from full house to empty nest. And life will suddenly feel very different. Within the next decade, some of you will be drawing on social security, and your retirement will be here. All right, so that happens like that. 2010 was just here yesterday. And, and here we are in 2020. Now my concern for us is ideas circulate in a decade. Ideas get traction in a decade. Ideas can go from non-existent to life-changing in a decade. All right? Listen to this thought the company's founding all came from a simple idea. What if you could request a ride right from your mobile phone? The infamous snowstorm incident took place in Paris in December 2009. Experiencing the common urban woe of not getting a cab in a storm, Travis Kalanick and Garrett Camp soon brainstormed an idea for a new company called Uber Cab. Ten years later, after 75 million global customers, just in 10 years, and 3 million dedicated drivers in 83 countries, Uber has been a legitimate game changer, right? Uber has changed the way we get around. I mean, I know people who just, you know, if you're just going to an event across town, right? Many folks have done this. You park here at the church, you have Uber pick you up and take you in town. Right, Lots of folks do that. Ten years ago, you'd have never done that. You, didn't, you, you never would have taken a cab to do that. But Uber changed the way we transport. But it didn't even exist ten years ago. In 2009, 26-year-old Kevin Systrom had an idea that would launch as Instagram in October of 2010. Right? Instagram is not even ten years old yet. Today, there are 1 billion plus monthly actives and 500 million daily stories that are active. A decade ago, you didn't make any room in your day to thumb through Instagram, to catch up on. The latest pictures, the latest images of people's lives, your children, your grandchildren, friends, whoever, that just didn't even exist. You didn't make space for that at all. But a decade later, that's a massive part of the way people do life, right? People can't seem to eat a meal or visit a location without memorializing it on Instagram for all to participate in. Ten years ago, You went to dinner privately. (laughs) Can you imagine? What a waste of time, huh? Harvard sophomore Mark Zuckerberg creates a website called FaceMash in his dorm room and shares the link around campus. That was a little bit more than a decade ago, 2003, and then eventually Facebook is going to catch traction and become a massive part of the way in which you and I relate, connect with people and human beings. Right? An idea. Somebody just got an idea. An idea that didn't exist, that had no influence in anyone's world. And a little over a decade later. right? Do you understand your, the reason why your iPhone is called iPhone 11? Because every year it updates. It's a little more than a decade old. Actually started in 2007. I'm not sure where they lost a couple of years. It. But Steve Jobs had an idea that changed the world. I mean, you guys recognize this, don't you? We do relationships differently. We get around people differently. We schedule our lives differently. We are interacting with a volume of information and influence differently because of... Those little ideas that all came into being just a little over a decade ago, our world has been reinvented with ideas that didn't exist just a decade ago, right? That's a little sobering because somebody, you or me are going to come up with an idea today that in 2030, what's our world going to be like? Personally, that's going to be true too, right? You're all thinking of stuff. And then there are you know, the reality that some ideas are really bad ideas, are evil ideas, are destructive ideas that are going to creep into our realities as well. Right? Some of us know this famous individual, we just don't recognize that how quickly his influence came. In 1925, a political nobody named Adolf Hitler would write down his ideas. In a book called Mein Kampf, while he was in prison, by the way. And really, if you checked Adolf's resume, you wouldn't have hired him to take the trash out in your house. I mean, he just didn't have much of a background in anything, but he had some ideas. And he wrote those ideas down in 1925 and a little bit more than a decade later Germany would be convinced of his ideas to the point of invading Poland and starting the ugliest, bloodiest world war in the history of man. Somebody had an idea. But that's a staggering thought, isn't it? Have you ever thought about this, this dude starts preaching some ideas about race, about politics, about hope in a future that caught traction in a country that turned the whole world upside down in a little over 10 years. Of course, that's how everything evil got started, right? If you go back to the Garden of Eden, there was a creature named Satan who had an idea. And he approached Adam and Eve with his idea. And they bought the idea. There was something about the way they interacted with the idea that made them buy the idea, accept the idea. And a decade later, death and destruction had spread throughout the human existence. So part of what I want to be aware of is, you know, just, you know obviously Matthew chapter 11 is, is a collection of ideas. It is, it is the son of God inviting us to him. And to take on his yoke and learn of him and find... These are ideas that you have to buy into. And there are other ideas available to you in the next decade. That you may or may not be aware that you're buying into them. But here's the reality. Ideas have consequences. I love that title from R.C. Sproul. He wrote a book in about 2000, I think it was. The Consequences of Ideas. And then he said this. And this is true for us. Most ideas that shape our lives, are accepted at least initially somewhat uncritically. We do not create a world or environment from scratch and then live in it. Rather, we step into a world and culture that already exists and we learn to interact with it. This would be a very dangerous difficulty for the people of God in the information age. If we are merely a people... Who are accepting ideas without questioning them, without analyzing them, without pondering, should I let these ideas into my soul? Listen, ideas should not be treated like when you go to download an app and all that screen comes up that you just kind of scroll down to the bottom of it and you say I accept without having read any of it. Where it says, we're going to take all of your information and expose it to every human being on earth and I accept. Go right ahead. <laughs> Uncritically, we just say, okay, here. Have at my life. Listen, be aware. A decade from now, ideas will have shaped our world. They will shape you. And they will shape me as well. So, so what do we do as we venture into this new Decade. Well, I'm going to draw our attention to a a young man's interaction with God that I think is very, very helpful. And it's King Solomon at a moment of transition, if you will. He's maybe not standing at a new decade. Maybe he was. But he was standing at a threshold where life was about to change. He was going to become king in the place of his father, David. So there was this moment for him where he stops And he ponders the reality of the next coming years. Maybe he was thinking 10 years. And he's going to offer us some insights here that are extremely helpful. So let's read from 1 Kings chapter 3. Just starting in verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little Child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. A great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people. That I may discern between good And evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, we're not here today gathered because we're about to become king. But Lord, we are about to do life. We're about to be husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and friends and members of the body of Christ. We're about to own businesses and care for other people. We're about to be neighbors. We have extended family. God, we're about to answer the call that you have placed in our lives for the next decade. Lord, we are very much in need of what Solomon was very much in need of as well. So Lord, help us. Give us ears to hear what we must not forget to take with us. As we navigate the coming years. In Jesus name. Amen. Solomon finds himself in a moment. That I want to draw our attention. To, to how he looks at his life in this moment. An opportunity suddenly got thrust into his world. Solomon. You get to be king. I mean. Out of nowhere. You get to be king. Right? I don't know how you interact with opportunities that come to you. But you, but you get an opportunity. To live something in the next 10 years, you get to be something. Where do you go with that? Do you just start making plans? You start, oh, finally a dream come true. This is always what I've wanted to be. I've got plans. I already know how I would do this and do that and do this. This is not, however, how Solomon sounds. Matter of fact, he sounds intimidated, he sounds overwhelmed. Only after he takes a look at what it is that he's called to be involved with. Do you notice those words, you and your? There's about six of them in this short passage. You have done this, God. You have called me to serve your people whom you have chosen, right? This becomes enormous in his mind when he gets into his understanding that I am entering into something that is yours that belongs to you that that you are in charge of that you're writing the script for this it is a great little phrase about Solomon's father David in Acts chapter 13 it says that David served the purpose of God in his generation that's what he did with his life he served the purpose of God in his generation. Right now, I know that. That can sound, I mean, hey, it's King David. He's a major feature in the, in the Bible. But, but do you think about your life that way at all? Right? I mean, you, you go to work. You, you earn a living. You show up in certain settings. Right? Could, could you zoom in on your job, your family, your set of activities and say, you serve the purpose of God in your generation. That's what you were doing. That's a little sobering. That's big, isn't it? That makes it feel a little bit differently. That my role, whatever it is, whether it's to be a friend, to be a neighbor, to be a pastor, to be a husband, to be a father. Whatever my role is, I am serving the purpose of God in my generation. That's what I'm doing. All right and Here's what's really, really really critical. In in a a world that features the individual, the individual easily loses sight of the larger setting. Right? And I I will do this. I know some of you guys like when I do this. Some of you guys can't stand when I do it. But um, you need to be aware of the ideas that you're interacting with on a daily basis. The ideas that make you feel like, Pay attention to your own story. Do your own thing. Empower your own agenda. You already have messages everywhere telling you to zero in on you get to be king of something. But you don't have a lot of voices out there saying, oh, and by the way, what you're really doing is serving the purpose of God in your generation. It doesn't put your calling into the context of another calling. Right, so everybody here has got a story, but, but what happens here is Solomon highlights the reality that his story is a story within a story. And that's true for you too, and that's true for me. I have a story, you have a story, you have things that you want to be about in life, but, but our story is a story within a story. And quite honestly, you and I can never, ever really understand our own story until we place it in the story of God. David served the purpose of God in his generation. And so does Keith, and so do you, and so does Solomon. And that's what went off in Solomon's story. So question, what is your story? You got a story, right? I don't just mean that, well, yeah, okay, I'm from New Orleans. I uh, grew up here, went to high school here, blah, blah, blah. Eh, that's a little bit of your resume, and that's some of your story. But, but you've got a story, right? You have a story about friendships and marriage and family. That's part of who you are. You have a story about talent and success and unique abilities that you actually do have that God is actually Given to you. You have a story of dreams and goals and aspirations and setbacks and conflicts. You have a story. And in the next decade, you're going to work on that story, you're going to want something for that story. I think I wrote this in your outline if I didn't just listen. We have a story and we are trying to discover our story. How many of you guys here aren't quite sure about your story? Trying to figure out what am I supposed to be doing in my life? We are hoping for a certain story as opposed to maybe settling for another one. We are afraid of a certain story. We are doing things to write our story. We have past, present, and future chapters. We have a list of characters that include heroes and villains in your story. Right? Do you have some people in your life who have been heroically involved in your life? Who have supported you? Who have helped make you who you are? Do you have some villains in your life? Who have created conflicts and setbacks and heartache and pain in your life we have a story everybody does but listen to this interesting thought from Greg Kuchel he says our story starts with a person and he doesn't put this quote in here but this is the reference in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth our story starts with a person right there is no story there's nothing that exists until a person god steps up on the stage of existence and creates so my story your story starts with a person It doesn't start with a bang doesn't start with an impersonal force okay listen when that becomes your story listen it uproots a lot of the way you think about life it presents its own set of ideas But when your story starts with a person and you want to try and figure out who you are, you're probably going to need to go to that person, aren't you? See, the idea of an an evolution that didn't involve a personal creator, who do you go to to figure out your story? Don't go to anybody else. There's no one else to go to. Something Exploded. Strange, inexplainable, scientifically inexplainable things happened. And suddenly, we became conscious beings by accident. So what's my story? I don't know. (laughs) Just trying to make it up as I go. But if in the beginning, God created you. If you want to know your story, you may have to go to that God Greg Kuchel says, God is the very first piece of the Christian story because the story is all about him. God's the central character. The story does not start with us because the story is not about us. When I was young, my mother used to say, Gregory, the world does not revolve around you. (laughs) It's one of the most important lessons she could teach me. Your mother probably taught you the same thing. Is it like a mother's school out there somewhere? that teaches moms to say things that stick in our brains in weird ways. Our mothers were right. We have an important part to play in the story, but we are not the most important players. Many people are confused at this point when discouragement, disillusionment or defeat creep into their lives. They're caught by surprise. They Thought the story was about their happiness, their comfort, their personal prosperity. Then they wonder what went wrong when things go in another direction. How could God let this happen to me? They ask. They thought that God, with God in their lives, they would be the center of His attention and everything was going to be easier. Then they are caught off guard. When things work out differently. That's what happens when we think the story is about us. Right, we've concluded a year, and maybe it's been a painful year for some. I know it has been a painful year for some. And you're trying to figure out how to interpret all that. Listen, if you have. Those words are helpful words. If you've experienced discouragement and disillusionment and defeat has crept into how life feels for you, then you might want to go back up and check. Did you stop and ask, what's the purpose of God going on in my story right now? Or did I let my life become detached from the purpose of God and it just became about my story and my story suddenly took a left and became painful and full of surprises and i can't interpret them now because i've detached my life from the one who's writing the story do you understand everybody that we could identify in scripture it's like they take the stage for a brief moment in this grand play that god has authored right, so i so you know i love the moment in which queen esther is pondering whether or not she's going to put her life at risk, right? Maybe that's not going to ever happen to you, but, but in some ways you're taking risks, right? And the word that comes to her is, who knows if for not such a time as this, you have come to the kingdom, Queen Esther. See, you take the stage at a certain moment. Isaiah took the stage at a certain moment. King David took the stage at a certain moment. Abraham took the stage at a certain moment. Moses takes the stage at a certain moment. But every one of them are just communicating into this arena the story of God. They've got unique stories. They've got unique pieces of their story. But ultimately, their story is serving the greater story. Do you know how chaotic it becomes when... I don't know, maybe you guys were in plays when you were in high school and everybody got a part. Everybody studied their parts and they got on the stage and, you know, they, they only came on at certain moments. You got a cue. This is when you come on, you say your line and then you get off. You know what doesn't work in a play is when the characters fall in love with their own character and decide, I don't know if I like these lines. I don't know if my part is big enough. I don't think I want to get off the stage right now. Right? I mean, they, they come on, exit stage, right? I'm not getting off the stage. They start making up new lines. Nobody else can follow. They don't know what's happening here. Listen, is that what we do with our lives? God has written this grand story, the purpose of God that transcends generations. And you and I take the stage for a moment in it. And we fall in love with our character. And we say, God, I refuse to get off the stage. Well, no, Keith, this is where the scene moves on to someone else. This is where it's about someone else. It's no longer about you. Oh, I don't, I don't like it not being about me, though. I don't like how that feels. I don't, I don't like that my life feels like it's losing purpose. And No, 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 no. Your purpose is being fulfilled. It's right there. It's the exit door at this moment. That's your purpose. Get off the stage, Keith. You're done. That's, that's what I'm letting you know. You're going you're gonna to fulfill the purpose. But, but see, that's the thing. You and I develop this sense, this human value that I'm only valuable when I'm on the stage. So, how do I manipulate life and people and everything to keep me on the stage as long as possible in whatever stage I'm trying to find? And God says, Well, no, no, you you're here for my purpose. I I wrote the play. It's time for you to get off the stage. Remember, John the Baptist had no problem with this. He watched Jesus take the stage. And he recognized my time is done. I must decrease. He must increase. And off he went. Listen, you know, whether whether it is the stage of activity and relationships, responsibilities, position and title, or it's the stage inside this human vessel that which one day is God is going to say, Keith, time to exit that body. You're done here on earth you'll now be part of glorifying me in heaven but this is God's purpose in our lives and the key is to figure out how our story fits into his story God's doing stuff you and I are doing things but God's doing stuff right couple of quick reminders here of that Psalm 75 listen to what the psalmist Asaph brings to the table here verse 2 it says at God is saying this, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck, for not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another see this is, this is a story within a story, right and what 's highlighted here is when the earth totters and its inhabitants when when your world gets rocked and you feel like it's off balance your story is within another story and in that moment God has appointed certain things in that moment and he is holding the pillars steady so I know you think that I'm going, to, I'm going to fall off the edge of the earth. It's going to topple over. But you're a story within a story. The one who's governing the story, he's holding the foundations. You're not going to do anything that he's not in control of. He's writing the story. I see. It's helpful. To recognize this reality that we are merely stories within a story. And how much, how much desperate ambition in our lives will be helped by this? Many of you suffer from desperate ambition. I'm not going to give a category for it. So that way you can just figure out what, what are you ambitious for? What are you desperate for? What do you have to have What are you craving and longing for? Manipulating and trying to make it work out. Trying to make an impression in some realm. You don't want to be impressive in every realm. You don't want to run for president of the United States. You got your own categories where you want to be president of something. I mean a king of Israel. You want to be king over something. I want to be known for something. And, And you struggle and strive and work really hard for that. And part of that blend is you begin to have an attitude about who you are. Who you are among others. Maybe in your category you want to be king in, uh, you are king. You don't know anybody who's more impressive, more accomplished, more talented, more recognized than you are. Maybe you actually are something. And God stares at that and he goes, uh, don't boast about that. Don't lift up your horn. Don't stick your neck out. Don't cop an attitude. I wrote that part for you. There's not a whole lot that you can say, oh, look at me. I wrote that part for you to take the stage for a season for my purposes. See, this this cuts the legs out. When I understand that my story is within another story and he is the story writer, I, I don't have to force my way into anything. I just need to follow the story writer and trust him because whatever I'm trying to achieve or be or be impressive about God has written a story that I'm going to only be as impressive as he's written the story for it to be impressive and I'm only going to impress the people that are supposed to be impressed in that story and you can stay up late at night and you can struggle and strive and you can rehearse every conversation you've ever had and you can debate people and cut the legs out of somebody else All you want, but you're doing exactly what this verse says don't do. It's God who is doing these things. It's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Now maybe it's not ambition you have a problem with. Maybe it's fear in this category you have a problem with. Somebody is going to come into your life that's going to take it all away from you. I don't know who that could be. Maybe it's the wrong president who creates a tax law that's going to bankrupt you. we got all kinds of people we're afraid of that could come into our world. Somebody that you're some relative, some person of power and influence in your life that if they get that, I'm nothing. If they get my position, I'm nothing. They, if, if what they said about me gets around to other people, and then fear comes into your life, do you read this verse? It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. You're going to go into a decade here, but I got to go into that decade armed with this awareness. I'm a story within a story, and, and I need to pay attention to the story writer and what exactly he's saying about life. The Book of Acts. Chapter 17, the Apostle uh, Paul has a, has a conversation, if you will, with some religious folks in the city of Athens. And it's really interesting what he says here. I just want to pick up a couple of pieces of it. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Orophagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown god what therefore you worship as unknown this i proclaim to you that's just significant to me right to the unknown god and then paul actually says it with this phrase therefore what you worship as unknown what you worship as unknown how do those words even go together well, I don't think it's worship in the truest sense of what the Bible's calling worship to look like. But these people had found a way to stick God in some kind of a category that had status, even though they didn't know anything about Him, clueless about who God is. But He's He's God. He's in the God category. He's special. He's the man upstairs. I always love that phrase, "the man upstairs." No, the Bible doesn't talk about God as the man upstairs. I'd be your landlord who lives upstairs. <laughs> Different kind of Lord. Um, but you but know here's, here's a sad reality, and you're going into a new decade, you're going into a new year. God might have special status for you, but is he unknown to you? You may have grown up going to church. You may have been raised in a religious home. There might be a Bible in your house right now. There might be certain things you just wouldn't do because your grandmother would roll over in her grave and that's morally connected to God and how she believed about God. So you might grant God some kind of special status. And when things get really, really bad, you call out to this God even. But you don't really know him. A decade has gone by. Do you know this God any more intimately and affectionately and understand him any more now than you did 10 years ago? Well, here's what Paul said about this God. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God. Perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Look at those words just for a second. And ponder the coming decades. And I think I wrote this in your outline. How much of my 2020 story is informed by these realities? God made mankind. He gives mankind life and breath and everything. He determined mankind's time periods and life's stage, if you will. For what purpose? That they should seek God and feel their way toward him and find him. Now make this personal. I need to make this personal. Everywhere you see your little paragraph there where it says mankind, put your name in there. God made Keith. Keith. He gives Keith life and breath and everything. He determined Keith's time periods and life's stage. That Keith should seek God and feel his way toward him and find him. There's a a bit of a strategy, if you will, in understanding God when you read that verse. That this stage that we're on, this season that we live in, these people that we're set amongst, they're all part of God maneuvering us to feel our way and find him. That's the story in which your story exists. So there can be all kinds of twists and turns in the coming decade That look like they're way off course, but they are helping you feel your way and find your way to him. God is not interested in being the unknown God whom you give status to at some level. He wants to intimately be found by us. So let me look real quickly at Solomon's interaction. He has a profound recognition here. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 7. He says. And now O Lord my God. You have made your servant king. In place of David my father. Although. I am but a little child. Right. Here's this moment. Where life is too big for Solomon. God you have put me in a place that I can't do. Although. I am a child. God, I can't do this. Listen, at some point, you might not be asked to be king, but you're going to be asked or assigned or ordained or put in a place by God where your response is going to be, I can't do this. Amen? And you guys lived in that space already? I find myself living in that space more and more and more. I don't find I'm getting better. I found like things are getting past me more and more. I can't do this. That's what Solomon was saying. But he recognized something else. And now, O oh Lord, my God, you, you did this. You have made your servant king. And this is Solomon's story, but you got a story too. And God is equally God to you as he is to Solomon. So God has made you certain things. God has set you in certain settings. And it's got certain conflicts and it's got certain challenges in it and difficulties that are in this setting. Right now I'm, I'm rethinking how to finish this extra fast. So just give me a second to blow off half the notes you have in front of you. <laughs> There's a moment for Solomon that he recognizes being in over his head means he's got to see something about God. There are, there are inabilities that are going to travel with him But he's not going to be able to fulfill this call. So it's going to lead him to ask for something specific from God. Right? And in 1 Kings chapter 3. After saying, you know I'm just a child God. I can't do this. In verse 9 he says. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind. That I may discern between good and good. And evil. That's the one thing Solomon asks for. He says, I can't do this. I'm in over my head. God, give me understanding. What you might not know unless you've studied Solomon's life is, is Solomon had reasons to think, wait, you want me to be king. Any of you guys ever watched old English movies about kings and their families and their relatives? You ever watched those guys? It's one of them killing another one after another one. It's like, you, I don't know how any of them slept at night. Because everybody wanted to kill the king. Well, this is what Solomon is aware of. He had he had a brother who, well, he had a, he had a brother who raped a sister. This is, this, is, this is how he knows ideas can function in people. People can do some weird stuff. You want me to lead them? <laughs> I had a brother who raped a sister. I had another brother who killed that brother. Then I had another brother who decided he wanted to be king and he turned on his dad, King David, sought to have his dad killed and take the kingdom from him. And then so Solomon gets invited into this idea that he's going to be king, but then he's got another brother. Who doesn't want Solomon to be king. He wants to be king. So he gets all these leaders together. And rises up against Solomon. This is not a pretty picture. Dealing with people is a messy venture. In this world. Because everybody's got ideas. In their head. About what's going to further their cause. What's going to make their life good. And you do recognize. I wish I could rescue every. I sincerely mean this. I wish I could rescue every person from this reality. The people in your life have ideas. And you're not going to be the most important thing when they go to pull the trigger on their ideas. I'm sorry. And you're going to be hurt by them. And that can't be your excuse for not being king. Or not being whatever it is that God's called you to be. But Solomon knew that. This is what I've seen. I watch my dad's life. I'm just a kid. I don't know how to do all that, God. I don't know how to watch my back, God. You're going to have to give me understanding and give me discernment. And this is not the last time the Bible is going to encourage that. right? I'm not going to unpack this verse, but I put in your outline there. Paul told the Colossians the same thing. See to it that no one takes you captive. By philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ when you go to do your decade ideas are coming to you that have the power to capture you to control you See, there's a reason why the Apostle Paul has to tell the people of God, see to it that you don't get taken captive by these philosophies and these traditions of men, these ideas that are out there. See, it's these ideas that I think Jesus is going to interact with when he says, come to me, come to me. Take my yoke on you and learn of me you'll find rest for your weary, burdened souls that are twisted and turned by the ideas that you've been digesting. Now, now part of me, Eric, you can come back up here. Part of me in this series in January, I do want to interact with the cultural ideas that influence all of us. Man. Remember growing up, being a young boy or a young girl, there were ideas that were out there then. Imagine growing up today as a young boy or a young girl with the ideas that are out there now. I just had to figure out whether my ears were too big. Not whether I was a boy or a girl. There's ideas out there. Our culture is full of ideas that are informing you and I What to do and what not to do. In order to have a good life. But let me just put you in touch with this reality. If you go back a few decades. Are you aware of the ideas that have shaped who you are personally? I'm not talking about the cultural ones. That we can all stare at out there driving down the highway and go. Huh, look at that. Huh, look at that. I'm talking about the ones that are inside of you. This morning. The ones that began to. Take root when you were a kid. When you were treated a certain way. When you wore glasses and you were overweight. And everybody spoke to you a certain way. And the idea came to you that you had to be a certain person and had to look a certain way. And you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. And you're still captured by that idea. You had things happen in your life that engendered a sense of fear. Fear about being rejected. Fear about being alone. And somehow that idea got root inside of you. And decades later, you're still making decisions out of the captivity of that idea. There are ideas about insecurity and fears and jealousy and pride that go back for decades for some of us. See to it that you are not taken captive. We sang a song earlier. My chains are released. Was, I don't want to sing that again, but this, that, that line was, my chains are released. And I appreciate everybody singing it like we're, you know, we are a Pentecostal church. So hoot and holler and sing that loud. But are you aware of how many chains you're not released from? This is when you become aware of it. When your world falls apart, when the people in your life, you get in conflict with them, for the 10th time. When you come in for counseling and a counselor begins to highlight for you This is why you do what you do. Did you know God wants you to be free from those things? Ideas. They're ideas. Listen, some little man named Adolf Hitler sold an entire nation on some kooky ideas. Don't think that you can't buy into something kooky about your life. And let it dictate and start World War II on the inside of you. That's controlled so much about you. What if God would like in the next decade. For you to be able to look in the rearview mirror and see those chains. Several years ago where they came off. What if, what if the key to that is, is the first part of that Colossians verse. Therefore as you receive Christ so walk in him. Rooted. And built up in Him and established in the faith. What if Jesus' invitation to come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and to take my yoke on you and learn from me, will set us free in the next decade from things that have traveled with us for way too long? What if that's what God would like to do in Lakeview Christian Center in the coming weeks, months, years? Amen, I let's stand up together. I just want you to listen to this quote, and I'm going to pray for us. We read about this God who is God, he's powerful. Don't lose sight of the fact that he is personal. Greg Kukul, in his book, The Story of Reality, said, So, according to the story, we belong to God because he made us. We don't own ourselves. But here I need to make a clarification. We belong to God, true enough, but not in the same way other things belong to him. We're not mere objects that are owned. We are human beings who are precious to God in the same way a child is precious to his parents. Yes, God is a great and powerful king, yet He is also a father. In this story, God made you to know Him, to delight in Him, to depend on Him, to rest in His arms. Because you belong to God in this special way, you are not alone. There is a place for you, a safe place, a home even if you haven't discovered that yet no one is an orphan we are his and our hearts are restless until they find the rest in the home he provides that is himself in our story God is not far off but near to us He is a refuge, a shield, a fortress, a present help in time of trouble. He is not just the grand and splendid object of our awe. He is also the tender subject of our love. Father, next week we venture into this divine invitation. Son of God, personally, looking each of us into our hearts and inviting us, come to me. But He knows something about us, He knows something about our weariness and our burdens. would you let that be real to each one of us this morning the God who created us he knows us he's written our story with great care and great detail with the affection of a father the perfect love of a God close out a year we start a new decade where we cannot lose sight this God invites us this God knows us the Spirit of God I pray that you just would move among us right now but bringing the reality of where we are The reality to some of our lives who have been captured by ideas. Ideas that have misplaced our joy, caused us to lose a sense of hope and confidence about our future. Ideas that have wrecked relationships. Ideas that create stress and fears and anxieties in our lives. God, I thank you that you stare into those ideas and you invite us to come. Come learn of you. Come take my yoke and learn. And find rest. God I pray that I pray that for our souls that we would be in the decade to come we would be a people at rest in you and all that that word means God that we would have found our home in you with you intimately connected to you you would not be some unknown God we would have learned of you and you would have answered the longings of our hearts Lord in the coming days the coming weeks as we study through this passage would you help us to go free from ideas that needed to have been left a long time ago and to find in you Lord all that we need for this life that our souls might find rest in Jesus name Guys, can I ask you to do this? Um, we want to always close by giving folks an opportunity for prayer, for things that are going on in your life that you just need agreement about and you need God to intervene miraculously. But one of the things, and you can pray for me in this, one of the things I wanted to do in starting this year um, was to have a series of messages that was a, a little more accessible to the person who doesn't normally come to church. So normally I don't, And I feel like what we're here to do is equip the saints for the work of ministry. But I'm going to try in the month of January to make some of these messages a little bit more accessible to somebody who doesn't normally come to church. So if you've got somebody in your world that God's given you a burden to care for, uh, maybe pray about inviting them. Next week, there's going to be an invitation from God to come to him there's somebody in your life that you'd say, oh, I'd love to invite them to church, but man, we're in first Corinthians talking about speaking in tongues. That'd freak them out. Um, next week, we won't be talking about that. <laughs> we would talk about an invitation, a personal invitation from God. So maybe that's a good place for you to invite somebody that, that you've been wanting to invite to church. Uh, Bahama team. If you guys can come on up and let us pray for you and supply you with all the suntan lotion you'll need for your trip. Um, We'll pray for you guys and anybody else needing prayer. And The rest of you guys, I know you are eager to watch some game that's on TV today. Um, right? Go Saints in both the Saints that are here and the Saints you're about to go watch.